We're going to be in the book of Psalms tonight, Psalm chapter 138, Psalm 138, and if you uh, would go ahead and find that in your Bibles, I have a message that I believe will encourage you tonight, if you allow the Lord to speak to you and minister to your heart. Uh, he's been speaking to me through this psalm, and I believe that uh, we'll have a good time tonight. So Psalm chapter 138, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you found it, say amen. 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 Me too. Conveniently, I have these notes here when I got up here. It's like somebody did that on purpose. This is a psalm of David. We're going to read the whole psalm, Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect Unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Notice in the first couple of verses, he says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. He goes on to say, I will sing praise unto thee. In verse 2, he says, I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name. I've titled the message tonight, God is worthy to be praised. You may be seated. I'm glad we can agree on that because it's true. God is worthy to be praised. You know, that's why we're here. That's why we gathered in the house of the Lord tonight to come around his word and to exalt the name of Jesus, to praise God and to love him. That's why we sing the songs on the basis of truth and we're singing about the good things of God and the mercies and the love of God. Now, it's interesting to note, the, and others have mentioned this as well, the psalm right next to this one, Psalm 137, they're not chronologically in order. Uh, psalm 137 actually happened many years after the fact. But in the order that they are in the book of Psalms, we see one uh, where they are in deep despair. Psalm 137, they're in deep despair. Uh, if you know that psalm, you'll know that it talks about their harps are hanging in the willows. Um, they say, how can we sing in a strange land? They're in despondency, um, they're burdened, and really they're humbly silent in the midst of their enemies. But we come to Psalm 138, and it's the complete opposite. It's in stark contrast. We see, we see one where they're in deep despondency, and now we come to Psalm 138, and we see praises to God. And David here is boldly giving praise to God. 
David is boldly exalting God. He says, he says, in the presence of the gods, that's little G's, by the way. We'll get to that in a little bit. But praise is on the lips of David. Praise is in his heart. He's praising God for his love and for his truth. He's praising him for his word and for his answers to prayer. Have you ever had prayers answered? There's a reason to praise God. He's praising God for his strength that is beyond what his strength is, but God has a strength for us. He's praising God for his glory and for his grace and for his power and for his enduring mercy. See, David knew his God and he was not afraid to praise his God even in the presence of his enemies. Isn't that wonderful? God can give us a song in our heart and praise on our lips, even in the presence of our enemy. You know, in Psalm 23, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we can praise God even in the presence of our enemy. Why? Because God is good and worthy to be praised. In whatever place you may find yourself, remember still, God is good and worthy to be praised. Tonight, here at this place, in this building, God is worthy to be praised. He expects us to give him glory and give him honor because he is worthy to receive it. Don't give your praise to anyone else. We have a living God in heaven. So first of all, I want to say this, uh, that God is worthy to be praised personally, personally. Look again at verse one. He says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praises unto thee. So every child of God has something to praise God about. Do we not? Has God not been good to you? Has God not been merciful and kind to you? Well, every child of God has something to praise God about. David understood that. He says, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to live my voice. I'm going to honor God personally. Every person has a responsibility to honor and praise God. Amen? If you've been given life, if you've been given the joy of salvation, then personally, we should, in fact, praise God for the great work that he's done in our life. You think about the mercy of God that we've received. Isn't God's mercy wonderful? Isn't his unmerited favor, his grace, wonderful? See, we were dead, but now we're alive. You remember that? We talked about that in Colossians. We were dead, but now we've been given new life. That's something that is worth praising God about. We were broken, but now what? We are complete in him. He makes up all the difference where we lack. We were broken, but now we are complete. We were at war with God, were we not? But what happened? Jesus came and made peace by the blood of his cross. What happened? We were enemies with God, but he reconciled us and brought us back together through the death of Jesus on the cross. And not only that, but someday because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we also will be glorified with him in his resurrection. I don't know about you, but these are things to praise God about. Personally, personally, we can praise God for these things. 
Your experience may be different, but the salvation from God is the same life that Jesus purchased for you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, united in the love of Christ. So our praise should be uh, personally uh, to God. Not only that, our praise should not be half-hearted. Look again at verse 1. He says, I will praise thee with my what? Whole heart. I will praise thee with my peace of my heart. No. I will praise thee when I feel like it, kind of, if it feels good at the moment. He says, no, I will praise you with my whole heart, with all that is within me. You know, um, God will have all of us or he'll have none of us. You know, God purchased us with his blood. He paid a heavy price for us. So God will have all of us or he'll have none of us and we should hold nothing back because of that. We should hold nothing back in our devotion. We've received so much mercy. We've received so much grace, so much kindness, so much love. And should we not with all of our heart give God praise for this? This is what David is speaking about. He's saying, I'm going to praise God, not with just a part of my being, but with everything that is within me. I'm going to give glory to God because God is worthy to be praised. If God has been good to you, and he has, and he's gave his all for you, and he has, then should we not give our all to him in return? Should we not say, yes, Lord, you gave all of yourself for me, so yes, I will give all of myself to you. All of Jesus and none of me. That's the desire. That's the desire. But yet we can be so cold sometimes, can't we? I heard one person talking about how he said when he would, when he would pray, uh, he would uh, pray and ask God to forgive him of his sins and forgive me for my lack of devotion and forgive me for my Bible reading, how it wasn't as, as, uh, uh, as uh, regular as it should have been. And he said when he got done, he realized that he also needed to go back and repent of his repentance. Because he wasn't wholehearted in his very repentance. How often, even in our devotion to the Lord, is it just lip service to God? How often, and I'm speaking to myself, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, guilt trip or anything of that nature. I'm saying, David is saying our whole devotion should be to God. How often can we get cold with our devotion to the Lord, in our service to the Lord, in our faithfulness to the Lord, in the works that we do for the Lord? Let it never be said like it was said of Israel at one point, that they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Should it, not, it shouldn't be said that way. Is there, is there a detachment that's happened somewhere between here and there? Is there some kind of detachment where we've grown cold and, and our heart is nowhere near? Our heart is on something else, but yet our lips are moving. Our lips are going through the motions. We're satisfied with coming and, and doing the same uh, set of things uh, week after week. But where, where is the fire inside? Where is the passion for the things of God? Where is the devotion? Where is the seriousness in our heart? Where's the urgency inside of us? Have we lost it? Have we lost the fullness of our heart for God? 
It's a question every one of us need to ask. And David is saying, with my whole heart, I'm going to praise you. I don't want it to be said of me that with my lips, with my mouth, I honor God, but inside I'm somewhere else. I don't want it to be said of me in that way, but rather with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse two, he says this, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. That should be the desire of our hearts. Remember the Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. When you begin taking steps towards God, God is also taking steps towards you. If we're willing to submit our hearts fully and completely to him, you have no idea what God may be willing to do in your life. If you're willing in wholeness of heart to surrender to him, I challenge you to see what God will do if you're willing to commit yourself to him. You may be saying, well, I've served him for 79 years. Well, make number 80 a really special one. We should come to church every, every time that we come together. I heard it said this way. We should treat it like it could be the best. We should treat it like it's the first with the excitement, with the joy, with the excitement. It's the first time. This is the greatest day. Amen. Come in like it could be the absolute best and treat it like it may be the last. Every service should be viewed that way. But God's not looking for divided people. He says, cleanse your heart, you sinners. Uh, you know, uh, wash. He said, you know, we're not to be double-minded in our devotion. God's not looking for people who are double-minded. They're half committed, half not. They're, they're all in sometimes, which means they're not all in any of the time. <laughs> You know, God's looking for people who are vibrant men and women of God. God is looking for people like that. You realize the hour that we live in, the day that we live in, God is looking for people with a whole heart of devotion, not people that have one hand to the plow and the other, their eyes are fixed on Egypt, wishing that they could return to the world. God's not looking for people that's going to make crooked paths in the soil that he's trying to till. God wants people whose eyes are set on Jesus Christ, who realize the day that we live in, who realize the hour and the seriousness of moment. God is looking for men and women to be devoted to him wholly and completely. God is looking for these things. God is looking for people that will seek him with a whole heart. My prayer is, oh God, give us a heart that is on fire for you again. Oh God, give us a heart that's devoted to you. Oh God, baptize us again in your Holy Spirit. We can't go on in this world in a powerless life where we can't make an impact on anyone. If we're going to make a difference, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Oh God, give us a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, let our mouths be filled with praise, but let it come from the place of truth that we have hidden in our heart where the, where the blessings of the Lord are swelling up inside of our hearts. Oh God, do it again. Has there ever been a place and a time in your life where those prayers were on your lips and you meant them with all of your heart? Then pray, God, get me back to that place. Oh God, get me back to that place. I prayed it today. I prayed it this afternoon. I'm not just preaching into the air, I'm preaching to myself too. And if you're willing to take the challenge too, then God is willing to take you up on it. But are we willing? Are we willing 
to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, all that is within me. That's what God is looking for. Not only that, but we should boldly praise God in a world full of idols. We're still talking about our personal worship to God because he's worthy to be praised. In a world that's full of idols and full of wickedness, we should boldly praise God. Look again at the last part of verse one. He says, before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. That sounds a little weird when you first read that, God's little G. This doesn't mean that David went out and found a bunch of little knickknacks and idols and set them around on the floor and uh, had them all in there and and said, before the gods, I'm going to sing praises unto God. That's not what he's talking about. He didn't set up a bunch of little knickknacks around him and then sing, you know, how great thou art or something and praise God. No, he's saying in a world that is full of idols and false gods and false teaching and false religions and false, uh, all these things that would lead you astray. He's saying, I'm boldly going to stand up in the midst of them, regardless of what it means to myself, regardless of what it means to anyone else. And personally, I'm going to praise my God, the true and living God before the presence of the gods. They're false gods, they're lying gods, they're not real, they're stumps and things that people pray to, but he says, there is a true and living God. And he says, that God, will I stand up and praise him with all of my heart. Before the gods, I will praise him. I will praise him with all of my heart. You remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who The men say that I am, and they had a few different options, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What was he doing in that moment? He was standing up and praising God in a world full of false gods, full of liars and deception, and he said, I know who you are. God, the Son, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'll take a stand to say yes. What do you say of the Lord? What do you say? In the Psalms, it often says, I will say of the Lord. He is my rock, my strength, my refuge. What do you say of the Lord? Do you say anything of the Lord? Have I said anything of the Lord this week? These are questions that need to be asked of ourselves. Not only that, but the direction of our worship should be to God. Look at verse 2. He says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name. Now, those of you that know your Bible would say, now, wait a minute, a psalm of David, and he just said temple. Well, the temple didn't come along till Solomon's day. So some people would like to say, well, this isn't really David's psalm. Well, the Bible inscribed and in the, in the Holy Scriptures here, it says a psalm of David. So this word simply could mean in the same way the tabernacle. So don't get worried about that. Don't be stressed out if you had that thought. It's a psalm of David, and he's talking about the direction of his worship. You know, the direction of our worship matters. In, the, in David's day, the, the uh, place of worship was the tabernacle. That's where they went to worship God. That was the place that they go to serve God. That was what they did. 
And when they were gone, they would turn towards the place of the, where they would worship God and they would worship God when they were afar off. But now we're not doing things that way. Jesus said they that worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't go to some tabernacle or some temple. We set our eyes on Jesus Christ and we worship him because he is worthy to be praised. We turn our eyes and our direction towards Jesus and we say, you Lord alone will I worship with all of my heart. So the direction of our worship matters. That's what he's talking about. The direction of our worship. We must turn our eyes to Jesus. Not only that, but his love and truth should inspire our praise. Look at verse 2 again. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So David's worship of God was grounded on truth. That's what it comes down to. We come to the house of the Lord and we open the Bible and we say, what is true? We look at the Bible, we discover what God says, the revealed truth of God's word, and from that place, we gather around that and we worship God. We do it in songs, we do it as we come to the, to the preaching, we do it when we come to the Lord's table. We're gathering around truth, and that is the place from which we are worshiping God. And David's uh, worship was founded in the same way. It was founded on the truth of God's word. His praise was not just some kind of an empty ritual. It wasn't just some kind of a ritual that he went through. He was praising God on the basis of truth, and it was a natural outflowing. His praise and worship was naturally coming out of that place as he meditated on the things of God. You know, as you meditate on the things of God, there, for the believer, there is a joy oftentimes it will rise up inside of you. There is something that begins to bubble inside of you and say, yeah, that's good. The truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, the truth of the resurrection. And you say, yes, I love it. And I'm praising God for those things on the basis of truth. And that's what we begin to praise God for. That's why we get excited in church. We're excited about what we're talking about. It's not just an empty ritual. We don't have a... We don't have a, a, an amen quota for an hour. You got to reach this many amens before you get to heaven, you know. You, we don't have a tally mark somewhere where we're saying, okay, sorry, you were short one, so make it up now and we'll go ahead and let you through. That, that's not, there, there's nothing like that. We're, we're praising God on the basis of truth. That's what it's all about. It's not about rituals. So our praise should be inspired, shouldn't it? David's praise was inspired. So you dwell on the goodness of God, the, the loving kindness of God. You dwell on the mercies of God. You dwell on the joy of knowing the Lord. You dwell on these things and what? Your praise begins to get inspired. You begin to be thankful for the things that you're thinking about. As you're reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit inside of you begins to bear witness and says, isn't that good? And you say, yes, Lord, that is very good. God may say, I did those things for you. I put that there for you. And God is speaking to you through his word. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness and saying, isn't that good? Isn't that good? Has anyone ever experienced that? I think so. 
But we dwell on the things of God. We dwell on the truth of God's word. What do, what do we do? We, we trust and believe the promises of God. What about if you start thinking about when you're lonely and, and discouraged and, and you say, well, God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't that inspire praise? Or perhaps you've fallen and you feel like, oh, I've sinned against God. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't that inspire praise? Oh, Lord, the world is getting so, so terrible. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, doesn't it inspire praise? Jesus is coming back for us. It's what I'm talking about. Praise should be inspired. This is why we come to the scriptures. This is why dad teaches through the scriptures. That's why we teach through the scriptures. So you know what it says. So that your praise can be inspired. And you can praise God not on the basis of ritual. Or should I say amen now or later? Or should I clap now or later? No, you're saying, wait a minute. This is good. I like it. Praise the Lord. That simple? That's why. That's what it's about. So let your praise be inspired. And then he says, in the last part of that verse, he says, thou has magnified thy word above all thy name. So you've heard the old saying, a man is as good as his word. Well, God is as good as his word. He is good for his word. Uh, his word is perfect. It testifies of his glory and his honor, and it tells you about his character. It tells you all about him. Every truth in this book, every truth is sure, and every promise will be kept. God has never spoken something and said, hold on a minute, I didn't mean to say that. I misspoke. Let me, let me clarify. God has never one time done that. Jesus has never one time said something and said, well, I know I come out that way, but that's not what I meant to say. Let me take that back and let me correct that. Not one time has Jesus had to ever take something back and say, oh, sorry, I didn't have that figured out. Let me, now, I've got a better answer for you now. Not one time has that ever happened. Why? Because God is good for his word. And God is so good for his word that he's willing to put his own name on the line for it. He said, if my word's no good, then I'm no good. If you can't trust what it says about me in here that I gave you so that you know what it says, if you can't trust that, you can't trust me. So he gives us his word and he says, this is what it says about me. This is who I am. I want you to believe it. I want you to know what it says. I want you to have the foundation of truth. And God says, I'll put my very name on that. Whatever I said in there, I will do. Because it is impossible for God to lie. He honors his word even above his very name. I love that. There's a man by the name of Ebenezer Erskine. I am not familiar with him, but Charles Spurgeon quoted him in his book, Treasury of David. And he says this, God has a greater regard unto the words of his mouth than to the works of his hand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but one jot or tittle of what he has spoken shall never fall to the ground. Amen. 
So he honors his word even above his name. So that brings us to verse three, that also we should remember the mighty works that God has done for us. We're still talking about personal praise to God. God is worthy to be praised personally, individually. There's a relationship that is between you and God, isn't there? I sure hope so. If not, that can be remedied. But it says in verse 3, In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with strength in my soul. I want you to know God has an open ear to the cry of his people. He has an open ear to the cry of your heart. His people down in bondage in Egypt, and they cried unto the Lord, and the Lord Lord heard their cry, and he brought them up out of Egypt, and he brought them into the land of promise. Why? He heard their cry, and he came down to deliver them out of their bondage. And in the same way, the ear of God is open, and the God who delivered his people will still deliver his people. Amen. David knew about the the delivering power of God. David knew that. David often, I'm sure, thought about the many wonderful things that God had done in his life. I'm sure he often thought about the time that the, the lion and the bear was coming to steal some sheep out of his flock and he killed them. And I'm sure he was thinking about that when he seen the Philistine giant taunting the people of the Lord. And David said, I remember what happened to the lion and the bear because of the Lord. So guess what's going to happen to you, big fella? You know why? Because he was dwelling on what God had done in the past. He was dwelling on the victories that God had done. So what I'm saying to you, in the same way, because the ear of the Lord is open and the arm of the Lord is still able and the hand of the Lord will reach out and meet our needs, what I'm saying to you is call on the Lord. Whatever your need is, whatever your trouble is, whatever your difficulty is, call on the name of the Lord and God can meet that need. But while you wait, Praise God for who he is. While you wait, praise God for what he has done. While you wait, praise God for his word on the basis of truth. While you wait, praise God for his past deliverances. Praise God, as David did, for the lion and the bear and for the Philistine giant so that he knows whatever I face, I know what my God is capable of, and so I'm going to call on him to do it again. Thank you, Jesus. Not only that, but God is worthy to be praised universally. Look at verse 4 and 5. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now, I believe David was looking ahead to that day when one greater than David, was going to come and rule and reign. We talked about it this morning, the 1,000-year reign of Christ Jesus here. And David was looking ahead to that day. He was thinking about his Savior, and he was looking forward to that 1,000-year reign that was coming in the future. Listen, Christ is going to reign supreme, and his voice, the voice of the Lord, is going to be heard in this earth. Read verse 4 again. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. So the voice of the Lord is going to be heard in this earth again. The voice of God. 
The whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the glory of God. As the waters cover this, it's going to be all throughout the entire, the entirety of the whole world. The voice of God is going to be heard in this world, and the glory of God is going to cover this earth. And the glory of the Lord will be the, come the song of the nations. Read verse 5. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. That reign of Christ, that 1,000 years is going to be incredible. That 1,000 years is going to be powerful. The voice of the Lord will be heard. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth, and they're going to sing in the nations universally, praising the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Not only that, but God is worthy to be praised for his grace. Worthy to be praised for his grace. Look at verse 6. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, listen to this. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, And the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. See, God is glorious and mighty, isn't he? God is so incredible. He is holy and righteous. He is marvelous in power, infinite in wisdom and majesty. He spoke the worlds into existence by the word of his power. You think about how he created every blade of grass in every insect, in every mountain, in every valley, in the oceans, in the creatures in the ocean, even the trees lifting their limbs up in the air in praise to God. You think about the brilliant colors, the galaxies, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars. Every square inch of everything exists because of Jesus. It exists to give him glory. Remember the Bible says all things were created by him and for him. And so Jesus in his sovereign power can look out over all of creation and say every single square inch and every single molecule is mine. I have made it and I have made it to my glory. You think about the galaxies that God has made. Every square inch, every single thing in all of the universe was created by him and for him to bring him glory. And when we think about all the things that God has done, doesn't it boggle your mind that God would care for us? What is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him and that you would visit him? And yet, the same God, that same God humbled himself and came to earth, made himself of no reputation, become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He tasted death for every man. And he did it all for us. And that is the grace of God. He should be praised for his grace. God should be praised for his grace. And it's really beyond comprehension when you think about the unmerited favor of God is what that is. That he would leave the glories of heaven and come to do what he did for us, dying on the cross for our sins, 
bearing the iniquity of us all. I'm reminded of the song that says, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me there. My burden so found liberty at where? Calvary. Hallelujah. God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be praised. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for his mercy. Praise him for the cross. Praise him for his grace. Praise him for his unmerited favor. Praise him that he came for sinful man and gave his life for us. Praise him because of his resurrection. Praise him because someday we're going to be with him in glory. God is worthy to be praised. Praise God. He is gracious and worthy to be praised for his grace. See, God is gracious to the humble and to the lowly. God is gracious to those that have a broken heart. God is gracious to us. Oh, what a mighty God. The grace of God is extended to all who will come. As many as will come to Jesus, the grace of God is given to as many as will hear it, to the weary, to the worn, to the broken, to those that are hurting, they're downcast, they're despondent, they're despairing. And Jesus says, if you will come to me, I will give you rest. If you will come to me, I will take your burden that is too much for you to bear, and I will bear it for you. I have taken it for you. And Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and come unto me and I'll give you rest. That's the words that Jesus says. Why? Because he is near to the broken heart. He is gracious to the humble and to the lowly. God hears the cry of the one off by himself that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God hears the cry that says, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, with his whole heart saying, Lord, I can't do it but you can to the humble and lowly God hears. But God will resist the proud. God will resist the proud. Look at the last part of verse six. He says, the proud he knoweth afar off. James chapter four, verse six says, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So to the heart that's willing and open, coming to Jesus because they have nothing to offer him, just coming to, to God in the best way that they know how, and Jesus says, come to me. But the proud says, well, can I just have some kind of insurance plan? I'm, I intend to keep my life in the way that I want to live it. And, uh, you know, you're Jesus, whatever. Or maybe some people say, I want nothing to do with your Jesus. It doesn't matter. And God says, I resist that. God says no. See, God's not too big to love the little guy, but he is too big to share his throne. He will not share his throne with anyone. We come in humble repentance, or we don't come at all. 
because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, the, the thing is, God is willing to save them. God is willing to save anyone. As many as will come to him, he's willing to save them. The problem is, is, is they won't let him. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that's God's desire. But the proud refuse to hear him. He calls and they say no. He calls and they say stop calling me. He calls and they say I don't want to hear it anymore. He calls and they keep pushing it away until eventually they get to the place where they just don't even hear it anymore. And they don't care to hear it anymore. And he says, the proud, well, this is what you desired. You want to run your own affairs? You want to do it your way, your, your life? You want to run your life your way? Well, I will let you do that. But he calls and 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 he calls even when they're not here, when they're not wanting to hear them and, and they're, they're pushing him away and he calls and he calls and he calls and he strives and he strives and he strives. Charles Spurgeon said this, proud men boast loudly of their culture and their freedom of thought and even dare to criticize their maker. But he knows them from afar and will keep them at arm's length in this life and shut them up in hell in the next. That's a sad place. That's why it says in Hebrews 3, 15, today, if you will hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Today, if you can hear, if you can still hear in any way, if you can still hear, don't harden. That's what he's saying there. See, the Father will draw, the Spirit of God will convict, and Jesus stands ready to forgive all who will come to him. But that's it. If they won't come, he's leaving it up to them. It's a sad thing. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, you know the verse, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He's worthy to be praised for his grace, that favor that he shows to us. What a marvelous gift it is. God is worthy to be praised for his grace. Not only that, but God is worthy to be praised for his mighty works. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. See, the God, we talked about this, the God that moved in ages past, can he not still move today? The God that moved way back then in the, in the, in the, the history of the Bible where it's, it's not just stories. These are actually history. This thing, these things actually happened. God actually moved in the past in these ways. The, the same God that did it back then, can he not do it again? He can still do it again. His power hasn't diminished. His hand can still be moved. There's never been a problem too big or too small for God, and his ear is open, and his hand is ready to move. So he gives strength to the weary. He gives strength to the weary. Look at the first part of that, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou will revive me. Strength to the weary. See, life has no shortage of trouble, does it? Sure doesn't. No shortage of trouble. And things can wear us down. We can get discouraged and depressed very easily. 
But God can revive us in those places. God can revive us in those hard places. He is our strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and be not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a place of truth that you can dwell on. God has strength for the weary. And he gives us help in trouble. Look at that verse again. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Now, this is amazing. This is a mighty work of God. So we're troubled, we're weary, and we don't have strength. And what, what happens? God revives us. That's what he was just talking about. So, so he revives us, but he also fights for us. Not only does he revive us, but he also fights for us. So we see the enemy is in pursuit, but God is our help. And so God is fighting for us, and he's our strength and our hope. He's our, our strong tower. He's our place of refuge. He's the one that we run to. But watch this. He says, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. One commentator said it like this, thou shalt strike them with thy left hand and save me with your right hand. You see that? In the Bible, you'll often see the right hand is a hand of blessing. The left is a hand of cursing, the hand of judgment. That's what he's speaking about here. So, what, so what's happening here? I love this. So God takes us up in that hand of blessing, the right hand. That's what he says, the right hand. Thy right hand shall save me. So God takes us up. We're weak. We're weary. We're worn out. And God says, I will revive you. And he says, but watch this. I'm going to take you up in my right hand, and I'm going to keep you safe. And then he says, with my hand of judgment, I'm going to strike your enemies. So God says, I'm going to hold you close and safe here. I've seen your enemy. I've heard your cry. I know what's going on. I've seen what's happening. So let me revive you. Let me keep you close to my heart right here. And then he says, with my left hand, he says, watch this. Watch this. This is a one-handed job. <laughs> for me, those are famous last words. But for God, that's pretty cool. He says, this is a one-handed job. Your big problem is no big deal. That's a one-handed job. <laughs> While I'm holding you safe and secure in my right hand, in my hand of blessing, in my hand that's going to keep you safe from all of the alarms and all the enemy, with my left hand of judgment, I will bring my wrath upon their wrath that has pursued you, and I will take care of those enemies with my one hand. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Our problems are a one-hand job for God. <laughs> I like that. It's so good. God can defeat our enemies with one hand. So I'm going to bring this message to a close here real quick. God is worthy to be praised for his perfecting work. Verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. I have a lot of things that concerneth me. I know that's a 
a, a different version of how that same word's being said. But there are things that concern us in our life, and there are things that, that we deal with, our circumstances. That's what he's talking about. He says, thou will perfect those things which concern me. Every aspect of my life, all the things that I, I'm dealing with, all the things that, I, that I'm fighting with. Remember, this is the same God that says, I'm going to take you up in my right hand and blessing, and I'm going to take care of your enemies with my left. This is the same God. And, and so the, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hand. So, you know, our life may not always go as planned, in case you haven't noticed those that have been here a while longer know better than me. Life doesn't always go as planned. We have ideas, we have things that we intend to do or we're gonna do or, or haven't got around to doing. We've got all these plans, we've got all these dreams, we've got all these things and, and life doesn't always go that way. We have a lot of things on our mind. We say, well, you know, I plan to do all these things. But here's the amazing thing. God, in the midst of all those things, is working his purpose for us, isn't he? Even though things catch us off guard, they never catch God off guard. He's never surprised by anything. Nothing has ever occurred to God. He knows everything. And so our things uh, sometimes fall apart and life throws us curveballs that we weren't expecting. We may pray and pray and pray sometimes and then all of a sudden what we've been praying for doesn't happen. But God is still working something in that. God is still working something. All things are not good, but he is working all things for our good to those that love God. I had this thought come to me here a while back, and I know that's scary. You're saying, oh, man. But I was just kind of thinking on these things, and, and I had this, this thought that comes to mind, and this is what I, I'd written it down. Dreams are in the heart of man. But purpose is in the heart of God. One falls to pieces and the other falls in place. We have dreams, many times they fall to pieces. But purpose is in the heart of God. And God will bring that to completion. Those things... The purpose of God, though our dreams fall to pieces, God's purpose falls to place because God is working things in our life. So God is working in you. The Lord is at work in every area of the believer's life. You know that he's working things in you and he's working things out of you. Philippians chapter two, verse 13 says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we can't perfect ourselves, And if we do, it's gonna be a disaster. If we try, we're just gonna have a bunch of rules and regulations and all this garbage that we piled on ourselves. But when we come to Jesus and we we have the righteousness of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. What does he do? He works things out. He works things in. He works his purpose into our life because God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Not only that, he's working for you. God is working in us, but he's also working for us. God is working those purposes into our life. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
Not only is he working for us, he is also keeping us safe from the external forces. Remember, Jesus said, you're in my hand and in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck you out. That hand of blessing that keeps us, that same hand, God is keeping us, so he's working for us. And then finally, God's mercy will never end. Thy mercy, O Lord, verse 8, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. The Bible says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning, new mercies, still fresh in the evening, and they never, ever expire. Psalm 136 talks about his mercy endureth forever, 26 times, I believe. That's one for every hour of the day and two extra for really bad days. His mercy endures forever. So he's not going to leave anything unfinished. Chris, you can come on. He's not going to leave anything unfinished. God is going to be thorough in everything that he does. He will thoroughly punish the wicked. He will thoroughly glorify his children. Those that he justified, he will also glorify. Thoroughly punish the wicked in hell. Thoroughly glorify his children in glory. God will not forsake the work of his hands. He will complete whatever he begins. As Psalmist David, he said, forsake not the work of your own hand. That was his prayer to God. And Paul says in Philippians 1.6, David, I have your answer. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If David and Paul had a conversation, David would say, I asked the Lord not to forsake the work of his own hands because he's been working in me. And Paul would say, David, God won't. If he started something, he'll perform it. And that is a great promise, is it not? I hope that tonight the message has blessed you in some way. Remember to praise God. Remember to praise God. Praise him personally. Someday he'll be praised universally. Remember to praise him for his grace. To praise him for his mighty works that he's already done in your life. And praise him for his perfecting work that he's still working in you tonight. And as we get ready to give an invitation, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And... If you have never been born again, you don't have anything to be excited about, but you can have something to be excited about if you come to Jesus tonight. Whether you be watching online some other time, you realize here in this church that these messages never stop tonight. They go out all over the place. People hear them all over the place, different parts of the world. CDs go out. You never know when someone might hear a message. And so I think it's good to remind them that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, 
rose again from the grave, and if we put our trust in him in simple repentance and faith towards God, he will save you and make you a new person. And all the things we talked about tonight, praising God, glorifying God, you can come to know what those things mean. And you that have been serving the Lord for many years, you know what these things mean. And I would challenge you to begin to let the Lord work uh, a new special work in your life, a fresh reviving. Let that be your prayer. God, give me a fresh reviving that I may be a witness in this hour that you placed me here to be. Don't be so calloused, and I say this to myself, don't be so calloused in your own heart that you're not willing to be honest with God and let him do some more work in your life. Don't become stale. Be vibrant, flowing with the river of life to bring life to others. Brother Chris, you can go ahead and sing tonight. If you have a need, I'm going to open these altars. You can pray. Uh, If you'd like, you can pray right where you are. Those of you watching at home, you can pray where you are. And uh, pray for others. Remember to always be in prayer. There's lots of needs. We're to bear one another's burdens. That's what this time is about. If you have business to do with God, we have altars where you can come and do uh, speak with him, a meeting place, and you can talk to God right there where you're at. But the main thing is make sure you touch base with God, even tonight, right where you are. Chris, go ahead.